everyone, and thank you for joining another episode of Wharton FinTech's podcast. My name is Jacob Dechter, and I am head of insurance technology at Wharton FinTech. With me today, I'm thrilled to welcome Jennifer Fitzgerald, the founder and CEO of Policy Genius, an online insurance distribution platform. Before founding Policy Genius, Jennifer worked at McKinsey and is a graduate of Columbia Law School and Florida State University. Hello, Jennifer, and thank you for joining the Wharton FinTech podcast. Hi, thanks for having me, Jacob. So for today's podcast, I'd like to explore three areas. Your background and the founding of Policy Genius, Policy Genius operations and impact on the insurance industry, and of course, the future of Policy Genius. So with that, can you elaborate on your a bit more on your background, perhaps setting the stage for your founding of Policy Genius? Sure. So before founding the company, uh, I was at McKinsey as a consultant for five years. I joined McKinsey right out of law school, uh, and most of the work I did at McKinsey was in uh, the insurance space, so spent a lot of time in consumer financial services and most of that time in insurance, uh, particularly working on growth strategy, distribution, uh, and it was you know there that the seeds of the company were planted. And my co-founder and I, and he's from McKinsey as well, really had a couple uh, aha moments or light bulb moments uh, while at the firm uh, serving insurance clients. One is just around uh, how uh, broken uh, distribution is in insurance. Um, the uh, main distribution channel is still the brick and mortar agent. Uh, that agent force you know, is aging. The average age of an agent is 59. Uh, most consumers who are under the age of you know, 45 don't have an agent or financial advisor. Uh, so their insurance needs haven't changed, but you know, distribution hasn't kept up with how consumers choose to shop for and engage with their financial services company. So um, what we saw happening in the industry was similar to uh, had, what had happened in uh, other financial services verticals like wealth management, retirement, banking, and we thought it was a great time to, to do that same digital first revolution focusing on distribution for insurance. So left McKinsey in uh, late 2013 to start the company, launched Policy Genius in 2014. Uh, the vision for the company then is the same as it is now, which is to create the go-to consumer platform uh, for all of financial protection. Uh, so that includes insurance and you know any other uh, financial protection products that we think uh, is gonna meet a customer need. Okay. That, that background is really helpful, thank you. So why do you think insurance uh, as an industry was behind the ball uh, compared to other financial services industries? Yeah, I think for a few reasons. So one is um, just the nature of how it's organized. It was organized around um, you know, uh, an agent-driven distribution model. Um, so if you go into insurance companies, everything from marketing to product manufacturing to um, operations is really geared around servicing an agent rather than thinking about the customer. And so when a whole industry is um, organized in that way, it's hard to change, right? It's hard to think about new and alternative channels of distribution because you have a lot of uh, legacy uh, systems and uh, ways of thinking. And to be clear, I'm not saying that the agent is going to go away uh, or needs to go away. I think what you're going to see in insurance over the next few years is what you see in wealth management. You, we still have a lot of 
um, you know, face-to-face -face financial advisors who uh, manage portfolios and retirement uh, accounts for uh, people. Um, but you also have a lot of self-directed uh, offerings out there uh, on the investing and retirement front, right? So I think it's just going to be that evolution for insurance. I'm not saying that the agent's going to fully go away, um, but you're just going to have a lot more different uh, models serving consumers uh, at the end of the day. Okay. So, you know, it's, I think the, in, in general, the entrepreneurial process uh, is a pretty fascinating one. And in this particular area, you identified a, a pain point, if you will, within the industry. What were some of the, the KPIs or, or key performance indicators that you looked for to start this idea or to develop this idea of policy genius? Sure. So I think starting out, right, a, a lot of your listeners are probably familiar with the lean startup approach um, and, you know, the things that you have to do to, to find product market fit first. And it all starts with a, a clear articulation of the problem and the solution that you think is going to solve it. Um, and so for us, it was around, um, can we build something that consumers are going to engage with, trust, and ultimately transact with, right? And so early, early KPIs that we looked at was, uh, is anybody going to use the the platform, and are we going to be able to make sales? Right. So uh, very very rudimentary early days, uh, and we did, and we started to see you know initial customers, people were responding, they liked it, they trusted us to buy you know life insurance and disability insurance, um, and then as you evolve as a company, those KPIs have to get a bit more sophisticated. So then it's not just you know will any customers use it, it's you know, can we uh, grow that customer base uh, profitably, right? And can we acquire it, uh, can we acquire customers in a scalable fashion, right? So then you start to track acquisition costs and uh, how quickly you're growing. Um, most companies still track those two things, um, even as they get bigger and bigger, um, but uh, including us. So those are the kind of KPIs that you look at, right? And again, as you hit a certain scale, then you also start to look at retention of your customers, share of wallet that you have with them, um, the N NPS score, which drives referral and an organic business to your way. Um, so those are the things that, you know, as we've gotten bigger and bigger that we have started to look at as well. Okay. And one, one thing that you hit on in your response is trust. And I think that within the insurance industry, trust is a major factor, especially as some of these online distribution platforms emerge. You talk about how Policy Genius has has went about establishing trust with the consumer. Sure. So we think about trust uh, across the entire consumer journey in insurance. So uh, it starts off very early on with providing high quality content, decision support tools, and calculators that help people figure out what kind of insurance they need, how to understand it, how to think about it. You know, insurance is not a very frequent. Uh, purchasing uh, decision, unlike flights or e-commerce uh, categories. So um, it's research intensive. And so we start building trust by putting out things that help people research and uh, feel comfortable with the decision. And uh, we've always had a really great uh, in-house content team, and that's only gotten bigger over the years. The next way we build trust is how we deliver the online experience. So we you know, have built uh, quoting engines that uh, strive to deliver the most accurate quotes possible across our products. Uh, we think very deeply about the user experience and everything from how we ask a question to how we play back information, uh, how do we, um, you know, uh, 
encourage somebody to transact. All of that, you have to have little trust building things along the way. And finally, the last piece of trust building is our customer service and our operations team, right? So for life and disability insurance, for example, you can't just uh, transact immediately online with a credit card. You have to go through underwriting, you take a medical exam. All of that's coordinated by our in-house uh, operations and customer service team. So they have to be um, very customer focused and deliver a great experience and make sure that final mile for the customer is one that is a positive experience and one that is, you know, uh, trust building and so trust building, in fact, that they refer friends and family our way. Right. And so it seems like it seems like you're filling this this gap where traditional brokers have been advisors. And so the big knock against online platforms is that you don't have that advisory. But what Policy Genius is doing is trying to address that by having multitudes of articles, online videos, et cetera, uh, to kind of get people more comfortable purchasing insurance through the platform. Is that right? That's exactly right. Um, so it not only you know helps people make a decision, also helps people find us because uh, that that content is what gets us to rank uh, on Google. So when somebody's searching for what kind of life insurance do I need or how much disability and how much does disability insurance cost because of the content that we've written over the years, um, they find us uh, straight away on Google. Okay. Got it. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. It strategically seems very sound, so thank you for that background. Um, I'd like to dig a, a bit deeper into the process of selling your idea to carriers. Now, briefly for our listeners, insurance carriers are companies like AIG, Travelers, and Prudential that retain the risk associated with providing insurance, whereas insur insurance distribution platforms are brokers such as Aon or Arthur J. Gallagher that help match consumers seeking insurance with carriers. So with that said, Jennifer, how did you pitch this idea to your existing partners, including Prudential, Geico, Progressive, and of course, another InsurTech darling, Lemonade, and how did you convince carriers that your platform was the right platform for them to move forward with? Yeah, it's a great question. Early days, you don't have much to go on other than uh, <laughs> promise and uh, uh, knowledge of the industry. So, you know, early on, we talked about um, consumer trends, market trends, um, what kind of customers they want, where are those channels where you can find those customers. Um, so it was really around, hey, this is, this is where your customers are. Um, this is where you're not able to reach them. We think we're going to be able to reach that digital, self-directed, mass affluent customer, right? So early days it was that. Um, and, you know, to be honest with you, some carriers in the early, early days didn't sign on, right? Um, and so until we were able to prove ourselves, prove that we could generate volume, prove that the risk uh, that we were passing their way and the types of consumers we were passing their way was really good risk and a good customer base. So um, that was how we pitched it. Uh, and these days, um, thankfully, uh, carriers come to us because uh, nothing uh, <laughs> speaks louder in insurance than, you know, volume and showing that you are uh, generating customers for insurance companies. But the early days, it was really around, like, hey, here are the customers that you have, here are the customers that you want to have, here's the disconnect and how we can fill that for you. Got it. And so do you, do you, ha do you find an issue now that you've been growing so rapidly uh, with your carrier base that carriers are concerned about adverse selection? 
No, not for us because we've got the data to show um, that the types of customers um, that we uh, generate and provide to them are really good customers. So um, they're younger, they're healthier, they, uh, you know, are in that sweet spot of life where, you know, folks are getting married, uh, uh, buying homes, um, accumulating wealth. So um, there's really been no uh, concern about adverse selection uh, up until this point because, we, again, we have the data to show um, here are the customers um, and then here's the retention rate of those customers as well. And so when you, when you initially started, did you think customers would get it immediately or did they need some guidance, perhaps a little hand-holding? Maybe you could also discuss how you came to selecting the specific industries or lines of business that you now focus on. Yeah. So when we first started, um, I'm trying to remember, I think we thought customers would get it pretty quickly, only because right. we weren't asking them to do anything they weren't already doing in other parts of their lives, right? They go to Amazon, they go to Expedia, they use TurboTax, uh, they use uh, you know, uh, Betterment. So we weren't asking them to do anything uh, different. So we didn't think that we'd uh, face an uphill battle in terms of changing customer behaviors. Um, so that that was our ingoing hypothesis. Um, and while it was true, you know, the hard part about any uh, com consumer-focused company is just acquiring customers at scale. Um, and in the insurance vertical, uh, that's pretty difficult. So. Um, that's been that's been kind of one of our, our big challenges to solve over the last few years. And so how did you come across and how did you select your lines of business? So when we started, um, you know, we knew we wanted to be a multi-product platform, the go-to consumer destination for financial protection. Uh, we knew we did not want to start with auto insurance uh, because we were a four-person team with $750,000 in capital, and uh, auto insurance is the most competitive and crowded vertical, and we knew we would die on that hill. And there was no way uh, that we would survive and be able to break through the noise of, um, you know, the advertising and customer acquisition that Geico and Progressive and Allstate do. So right. auto insurance was pretty easy to rule out uh, out of the gate. But um, you need, you so, need a pretty superior jingle to compete with in that area, to say the least. And Peyton, and Peyton Manning and... <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah, and Chris Paul and any number of, uh, of celebrities. So we were like, nope, no auto insurance. Um, right. So... From there, you know, it's a very, you know, consulting-driven uh, exercise of where's the opportunity, where's the white space, where do we think we can play, right? Um, and on top of that, we wanted a mix of products that were kind of bigger ticket, more complicated products, as well as smaller transactional products, because we wanted to see um, which consumers would engage with first and what the traction would be across those two different types of products. So that means we landed on life insurance and disability insurance in that first bucket, which are bigger ticket, more complicated products. And then we also built out renter's insurance and pet insurance as well. Um, our ingoing hypothesis was that pet insurance was going to take off and be our number one product when we launched. Um, it's the fastest growing vertical. Uh, you know, you can market it using uh, cute images of puppies and kittens. Um, you don't have to go through underwriting. You can buy it within a few minutes with your credit card. So that was, that was the product that we thought was going to take off. And when we launched, 
that was not the product that immediately took off. It was life insurance. And then the second product okay. was disability insurance, um, you know, which is why you always want to test your hypotheses because hypotheses can be wrong <laughs> regardless of um, how rigorous the thinking is that went into them. So that's how we landed on that initial product suite. Um, life insurance took off, uh, and so we've been very focused on building out a moat around life insurance over the last few years. Um, but now, you know, we're at an exciting spot where we're able to start pushing horizontally again and thinking about new products, new product verticals. Um, and uh, excitingly, we are now, you know, going to tackle auto insurance and homeowners insurance. And so we're behind the scenes working on that offering uh, so we can start doing something this year in those verticals. That's great. And it seems like you already have an existing customer base to cross-sell with, so you wouldn't face that type of uphill battle that we discussed earlier. That's exactly right, uh, and that's exactly what we're going to do. <laughs> and so when you realized that life insurance would end up being the, the number one selling product, did you have to pivot your, your infrastructure internally? Had you been focusing that primarily on PET, or was it at the stage where it had flexibility so you could have picked whichever line of business ended up be, being best performer? So we didn't have to pivot because at that point, again, we were a small team. We were five people. Um, and so we just built the platform uh, and built the product to launch. And then when life insurance started to pick up, we were like, okay, that's where we're going to focus. Uh, and as we built out a marketing and operations team, we focused them on life insurance. So we didn't have uh, hardly any infrastructure uh, that we needed to pivot. So, so going back just to, to life insurance, uh, so yesterday I actually went through the process of buying term life insurance on Policy Genius, and the customer experience was, was incredible. I believe it took me less than four minutes to do it. How important to you was this customer experience and frictionless data entry uh, at the get-go, and what tangible steps did you take to ensure such a seamless process on the website? It, thank you for the uh, for trying it out. And uh, the short answer is it's constant iteration and customer feedback. Um, so we look at you know how long it takes somebody to complete the process. We look at the, um, the data in terms of where people get hung up, where they where they exit the funnel, and we're always trying to figure out how do we make that uh, more seamless and easier for the customer. Um, it because it's critical. I think Amazon regularly publishes uh, some stat around. Uh, every additional X second it takes to do something on your site means that the X percentage of people drop off, uh, which is true. Um, wow. People have uh, short attention spans, and uh, particularly for something like insurance, like you have to make it easy and as frictionless as possible, um, at least to get to that first moment of truth, which is, you know, quotes and pricing, right? Um, and so we're constantly thinking about um, how to optimize it, how to make questions easier to understand, uh, but still accurate, right? Because at the end of the day, we don't want to do a bait and switch. So um, we could eliminate all those questions and just show uh, the best prices. But our principle is that we want to be as accurate, transparent as possible. So we ask all those health questions so that we can generate the most accurate quotes. Um, so there's good, good friction and bad friction. That's good friction. Right. I mean, it's for, from my perspective, it seemed like there weren't many questions being asked. I, I would say it was a, a shorter insurance form compared to so many other different insurances out there. Uh, was there a challenge getting your carriers comfortable with this type of question, with these types of questions, with these few questions? Uh, no, they don't typically look that far up the funnel. 
um, because once you get to the application and purchase process, we have to ask all the questions that they require on the application form. So uh, there's a bit more complexity that happens at the moment of application or the moment of purchase, um, and that's just you know something that you can't get around. But you can make it easy, right? So we've built a universal application that maps to every single life insurance company application uh, across all 50 states. So again, we do the work to, to make it as seamless as possible for the consumer, but you know the questions that we have to ask information we have to collect, uh, we do it, we just try to figure out a way that makes it uh, as little of a burden on the consumer as possible. Okay, got it. So as, as we discussed uh, earlier, a big knock against online distribution platforms has been, um, and still is, that people need advisors to understand their policies. And it seems that Policy Genius has attacked this head on by building out um, an extensive library of policy information uh, in, in addition to offering live help. So do you think that you've solved the broker as an advisor barrier for online platforms? I think we're getting close and uh, we're always, you know, striving to improve that and understanding where that friction exists still, still exists in the funnel. Um, so for your, you know, kind of classic term life insurance product, um, I think we've basically solved it, right? So. Um, have we solved a former complicated products like variable annuities or whole life? No. Um, I think that's more of an assisted sale um, where uh, a human probably does need to um, uh, be more involved in the process uh, with the consumer. But, you know, for a lot of the simpler products and term life being one of those, um, I think we've uh, got a really great model. That's not to say that you can't adapt our models to more complicated products because we also um, uh, do a lot in long-term disability insurance. And believe me when I say that is a very complicated product um, sure. and one that people just don't have uh, a natural intuitive grasp of how it works. Um, and we've still been able to make that work. Okay. That's, and that's, that's great. I think, I think it's, it's your, the platforms like yours um, that could be getting some of the agents a little bit more nervous and that argument about advisors doesn't hold as much, as much strength any longer. So, so moving forward, going back again to the carrier perspective, a huge test for uh, insurance distribution platforms is the long-term underwriting performance. Um, that is to say for our listeners, how much profit or loss uh, given distribution platforms customers are generating for a carrier. So how keyed in is Policy Genius to loss performance at this stage in the company's life cycle? Um, so it's less of an issue for the products that are our biggest lines, which is life and disability insurance. So, you know, claims are far uh, more infrequent, thankfully, than they are on the property and casualty side. Um, what we what we are keyed into and what we regularly talk to our carriers about uh, is uh, placement rate. So, you know, policies we place versus applications that we place, right, and we want that placement rate as high as possible. And then retention, you know, uh, in that in those first couple of years of the policy. Um, so we do have uh, regular conversations with our carriers about that. You know, they report back to us on how we're doing. Um, and we do, um, we do very well in those two respects. We have probably industry-leading placement uh, and retention. Again, because we do so much upfront work and provide so much upfront content, um, and the, the the type of the the type of customer that we get in is a very good customer. Okay, got it. And specifically on retention, uh, would you say that your platform ends up being stickier than your traditional retail agent platforms? 
that's a good question. I'm not sure um, because I think you know when, if really good face-to-face uh, -face agent advisors obviously have that personal touch and relationship. So they, if they're good at what they do, have very very sticky relationships because of that, right? Um, I think. Um, you know, on our own merits, I think we are sticky. Um, we uh, have more channels at our disposal to be engaging with you, right? So we can deliver content via email. We can, you can engage with us on Facebook. You'll um, find us in a whole lot of different channels. So we've got more tools at our disposal because we are, you know, a tech-forward company that allows us to um, uh, retain and engage customers over time. Okay. So not to get too specific on uh, economics, um, do policy, does policy genius economics from carrier differ at all from the traditional retail or perhaps wholesale agents? Did, was, perhaps there was an element of your pitch that was financial in that respect? Uh, that's a great question. So no, we're um, you know, basically in the same compensation structure as other uh, independent channels. Um, and uh, it's just easier to do it that way because the more things you ask uh, your partners to change, the harder it is to get stuff done. So um, we're right. on the same compensation uh, structure as uh, other independent channels, um, but because of the volume that we do, um, we're at a kind of the next level up from that. Okay, thanks. Uh, so, so going forward into into a Policy Genius's future, uh, do you plan on expanding into other parts of the insurance ecosystem? So we're not I'm not talking about lines of business here, but perhaps claims, for example, so ultimately you'd consolidate as much of the customer experience as you can. Yeah, I think for the product that it makes sense, we would. Um, we're always thinking about where's the opportunity, where are the pain points, what are the problems to solve. Uh, on For the products that we do now, claims uh, isn't really uh, a, problem, uh, a big problem to be solved. Um, we don't think, you know, underwriting is a huge problem to be solved for life insurance right now. So uh, for other verticals, yeah, I can see us going deeper down the stack. Uh, I can think about us getting involved, um, maybe less so in claims, but actually, you know, underwriting risk and using the data that we have to work with partners to develop new products uh, that underwrite risk better. Got it. So you effectively become a, a managing general agency or an MGA in that respect. Possibly. Uh, yeah, I don't see it being a carrier uh, in the short term, but, you know, never say never. Well, okay, yeah, wow. That's, uh, I mean, that's incredible to, to even be thinking about the carrier level because at that, at that point you have a tremendous amount of data and tremendous volume in order to accomplish that. Um, so, okay, so going forward, you know, how, how have incumbents, how do you think incumbents will respond to your success in market penetration? Is, is it going to be a more of a partnership model? Do you think incumbents will perhaps compete on their own or acquire some of your competitors? Uh, that's a great question. So, and I think we're in insurance tech generally, I think it's still very early innings and uh, incumbents uh, and the carrier incumbents are still kind of figuring out what's going on and understanding how the, this is going to play out on a larger scale. Um, right now, we're very much in partnership mode um, we, you know, every week are talking to more and more carriers who are interested in what we're doing, figuring out how, um, how they can work together with us. So um, I think we're still very much in partnership mode. Uh, you know, I go to uh, a lot of conferences with carriers and insurance tech companies, and everybody's really trying to figure out how to grow the pie, right? And I think the mentality is still um, around growing the pie and that a rising tide lifts all boats. 
um, which is great because uh, you know at the end of the day that aligns everybody's incentives. We you know all want to reach more customers. We all want to get uh, more customers, more financial protection. So um, the, I think that's where we're at right now as an industry. Okay, and I want to end. I want to end our podcast today, Jennifer, with with what has been the biggest operating challenge for you, uh, especially having transitioned from a consulting role to now as an operator? That is a great question, and it is a very, very hard transition. <laughs> and I think one that uh, you don't really fully understand the difficulty until you actually do it. Uh, and I think the hardest part is just the execution of it, right? How hard execution is. You know, once you're at a place like McKinsey for a few years, um, problem solving is pretty easy. Strategy uh, is pretty intuitive how to do it. Um, but what I've learned in the last few years is execution eats strategy for breakfast. <laughs> the hardest part is, you know, focusing on execution, which is really around um, hiring the right people, retaining the right people, engaging them, motivating them, keeping everybody focused on, you know, the goals, keeping everybody excited and running in the same direction about the goals, um, thinking about culture as you scale, um, you know, making sure that, you know, the things that worked when you were five people scale and continue to work when you're 200 people. Um, these are the things that I spend a lot of my time on today, you know, that I didn't five years ago because um, I was thinking about strategy and pitching and raising money. So execution uh, is incredibly, incredibly hard. And uh, every day you just have to put in the work. Um, and it, sometimes it feels repetitive, right? Like especially um, when you're a leader, um, you, you see the chessboard differently than other people in your company. And it's incumbent upon you to over-communicate and make sure everybody understands what that chessboard looks like and where you are on that chessboard. So, um, yeah, execution. It's tough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I love that quote, execution eats strategy for breakfast. That's, that's incredible. I, I think, Perhaps I think, the title of the podcast that. <laughs> <laughs> I, did Napoleon say that? I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not I think, sure. I think not the original sure. business quote was uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast, but I'm and that's important, but I think execution of which culture is a part is what each strategy for breakfast. Got it. That's, that's, that's excellent. Well, well, Jennifer, this has been an incredibly enlightening interview. Thank you so much for your time. Awesome. Thank you for having me. So that ends another episode of the Wharton FinTech podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. And don't forget to follow Wharton FinTech on Twitter and check back with our website for more podcasts.